we're carrying on with our series uh, good news for bad times uh, so open your bibles get those bibles out well first of all put them up in the air like get the devil upset get the enemy upset make him even more upset open your bibles open them at first uh, peter chapter 2 and we're going to start reading at verse um, 11 i think it is verse 11 yeah first peter chapter 2 verse 11 now before i get there uh, and before we start reading, one of the things that um, one of the things you encounter as a pastor, one of the things you encounter as a as a teacher and a preacher is that sometimes you come across passages that are kind of awkward for the moment you live in, and uh, you know that there's parts of the world uh, at, that where people would maybe regard this this passage that we're about to read as kind of incendiary and it, it you know it, it's got no place there you know how could god say that i don't agree i don't want to follow that i don't want to do that and uh, that's kind of what happens when you preach through a book of the bible you you encounter these passages and so i'm going to do my best uh in this preach really just to explain it to you uh i'm not saying that that some of us will be happy with it i'm not saying that we're going to like it but it's a very powerful passage and it's in it's the word of God. This is God speaking to us. So whether we, we like it or not, we have to pay attention to it. And if we pay attention to it, what we'll discover is there's a real power in doing the things and living the way it talks about. Now, just to remind ourselves, because one of the things that's easy to do when you encounter a difficult passage is to kind of just find a way out of it. You know, one of the things I used to do as a, as a tax consultant is that I would be aware that there was uh, loopholes in the legislation that you could get through. And, uh, you know, sometimes when we approach the Bible and we find things that are, are, are different to the way we're behaving at that moment, or the different to the way we're thinking at that moment, we try and find a loophole out of it. And and one of the things that people will say about this passage is, well, you know, you don't understand the times we're living in. You don't know how bad our leaders are. You don't know how bad uh, the authorities are. You don't know how bad my particular situation is. So I think it's good to remind ourselves who Peter's writing to and what the circumstances he's writing to those people in. And uh, you'll remember that at this time, Peter's writing to some churches that he's planted and a persecution from Rome, uh, instigated by the Emperor Nero, has started in those churches. And uh, at that time, Christians were a very, very tiny minority group. And they often had few, maybe no rights. Um, and this empire that Nero was in charge of was the most powerful empire of history, the Roman Empire. And part of that, being a part of that Roman Empire, was that they were supposed to worship the emperor as God. And, uh, you know, people living then would have thought that the liberties that we enjoy today as believers, the liberties that we enjoy in our country, uh, were, were unthinkable, unimaginable. And, uh, you know, those believers, the ones that Peter's writing to, had no ability, no uh, um, strength to be able to change anything uh, and they were uh, facing a persecution that was not getting better it was getting worse it's a bit uh, it's not a direct comparison but if you could imagine christians who live in a state where sharia law 
is in place. That's kind of the conditions that the, these believers were living on. And it's to those believers that he writes and he says, honour the emperor, honour Nero. And that is absolutely astonishing, isn't it? Honour Nero. You see, this is the guy, and, and, and I don't want to, uh, you know, really make anybody squeamish, but these are, these are real things that, that were happening at that time. You know, when they, they arrested believers at that time, to make a public example of them, they would tie the, their, their four limbs to horses, and then they would make those horses gallop off in different directions so that the believer was torn apart. They would, they would cover believers in tar and pitch and set, set fire to them. They would feed them to wild animals and, and, and lions and so on in the arenas. And, you know, we, they were living in a time when Nero was uh, causing Christians to be devoured publicly to, for sport. And Peter writes to them and he says, honour the emperor. And that's, a, that's incredible, isn't it? That's a, that's a real challenge, you know. And why would he do that? Why, why would you write that about such a person as this? Why would you, um, you know, even consider that that was possible? And, you know, it brings us back down to earth, doesn't it? When we're thinking, well, you've never had bad leadership like we have. You've never had uh, people in government like we have. Uh, you've never seen kings, you've never seen presidents like we have in our generation. And, you know, you've never experienced unfairness like we have. You've never experienced the prejudice we have. And, and, we, and we put all that in our context and, we, and, and not, it's not to belittle that, it's to actually say, well, these words are valid to speak to that context. They may be uncomfortable to speak to that context, but they're valid to speak to that context. And... Uh, one of the things that he says is that, um, you know, the, the, the people who are causing this and the people around, the non-believers, he calls them um, ignorant and foolish people. And he says that by our behaviour and the good things we do and the way we respond to things, we'll silence these ignorant and foolish people. Now, how many of you have encountered ignorant and foolish people? How many of you encountered ignorant and foolish people in social media, on your Facebook pages or Instagram or, or whatever? And how many of you uh, realise that ignorant and foolish people are loud? They, they, they want to express their opinion. They just want to tell you their opinion, however foolish it is, however off beam it is, they want to tell you their opinion. So that, you know, are ignorant and foolish people quiet? No, they're not. Now, here's, here's a real more interesting question. If you argue with those ignorant and foolish people, as Peter calls them, do they get quieter? Well, no, they don't, do they? They, they don't get any quieter. And, and so by doing that, we haven't actually achieved much. We've just played on their ground. And what Peter's saying is that when you encounter people like that, and, and, and we will encounter people like that all the time, then your good conduct and your character will give them nothing to uh, talk about and you will silence them. It's our good conduct and our good character that silences these foolish people. And one of the things that he's going to say in this passage is it's really important where you use your energies. And he says, use your energies to serve God. 
And the problem is, isn't it, that in the middle of things, in the middle of life and its busyness and all the stuff that we've been experiencing, all the difficulties in the world, in the middle of all these things, people want to serve their own interests, their own agenda, their own feelings and their own emotions and not serve God. That's our, that's our flesh. And, and then, you know, what happens is something comes along, it, something happens, it hits the news and it gets jumped on. And by getting jumped on, what then happens is in our world, it gets politicised and it gets pulled to the left and it gets pulled to the right. And, uh, you know, one of the things that as believers we need to do is not pull it to the left and not pull it to right, not join in there, but to pull it up to God, pull it up. And, uh, you know, go and say, OK, God, what do you think? God, you know, what do you say? What does your word say? What does your word say about how I should respond? What does your word say about what your agenda is in this? How do I help people see you and meet you in this? And that, that's what Pete's saying. That's the big question. The big question isn't our sensitivities. The big question is using our energies to serve God and in the middle of things not get not getting pulled into the politicization left right whatever but pull things up listen to God follow his word follow his agenda see what he's got to say with it and say how do we point people to God how do we point people to you in the middle of this what do they need to see and you know it's really important that we don't lose our mission we don't lose our message because of things that are happening in the world and and people jump on and people like and, and then you get these explosions serve god not just our own interests not not about it's not about our interests it's not about our rights it's not about our agenda it's not about our feelings we are called to serve god and that's where peter is going to come from in this passage so go with me to uh, go with me to verse 11 beloved I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul having your conduct honorable amongst the Gentiles that when they speak against you as evildoers they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of his visitation and uh, I'm going to read some more verses as we go along. But this whole passage is, how, how, how would you say it? It's the antithesis, the opposite of the spirit of the world. Instead of using our freedom in God to rebel, instead of using our freedom in God to, to cause problems, we are to use that freedom to serve, to love and honour. And that gives us a problem because it means that we will suffer injustice. We will suffer unfairness and we will encounter bad and immoral leaders and bad and immoral authorities and corrupt authorities and we will encounter them. And, you know, while and in doing that, I, I can't, you know, it's, it's the exception, really exceptional that they're anything like what these believers were encountering from Nero and the Roman Empire. But when we say that we, we're going to do that, when we encounter these uh, bad leaders, immoral leaders, corrupt leaders, 
what does Peter tell us to do? And remember, Peter's speaking this, and this is, this is from God, and he says something that's not very popular. He says, you've got to love them the way Christ loves them. You've got to love them the way Christ loves them. And, and when we come again, up against that, when he says things like, honour the emperor, honour your leaders, we don't like it. Our flesh doesn't like it. And what's more, and, and I, I know I do that, we think, that just can't be right, can it? That can't be right. That can't be how women respond to things. That, that just isn't the way things get done around here. That can't be right. And yet that's what God says. That's what God says. So let, let's go on. Let's just look at this. He, he uses these words, abstain from fleshly lusts, um, which war against the soul. Now that word abstain in the original language, it means uh, to have something by being far away from something else. So you've got something because you've distanced yourself from something else. And just thinking about what we talked about in the last session, our souls are unhealthy because we follow our flesh instead of following Christ. Our souls get unhealthy when we follow our flesh instead of following Christ. And, and so he uses this phrase, abstain, move yourself away from that way of living. And then he calls us sojourners and pilgrims. Now, you remember right at the start of, of uh, the, this series, we looked at that. And what, what Peter's saying is this, he's just making a, a fundamental point that we need to reorientate to. He's saying that we are not of this world. Whilst we live in this world, this is not the kingdom that we are concerned with. That we are like pilgrims passing through. That we're part of a different kingdom. And uh, as part of that kingdom, because we're part of that kingdom, the world is not our home. So it feels odd. It feels like we don't belong here. It feels like we don't fit. And that's a right feeling that's how we should feel and what it means is that we don't live by the standards of according to the lifestyle of those around us we don't live according to their way of doing things God has a different way of doing things and he's calling us to put him first and put our trust in him so how does that work out what why is this so important why why is it so important that, that he's saying these things and he's telling us and talking about things that go against the grain we don't like and, and we don't feel can be right. Why is he telling us these? Well, he, he, he explains this and let's look at those verses again, 11 to 12. I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Those, those, that, that thinking that living by the lifestyle, the standards of the world, thinking like the world is unhealthy for our soul. And remember, we need to be healthy in here to be whole out there. Healthy in here to be whole out there. Having your conduct honourable amongst the Gentiles, that's unbelievers, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they accuse you of being the, you know, the, the evildoers. Remember, they, they thought Christians were causing a lot of the problems in the empire. They may, by your good works, which they will observe, glorify God. That's the heart of the message of how we behave in times that seem unfair, unstable, unstable, 
wrong uh, and, and, and all the rest of it. We behave like that. Why? Because the big imperative in what he is saying is that others may see by our good actions and our good behaviour in the face of bad times, they see God and as a result, turn to God. That's the big imperative of the gospel. That's the thing that we need to keep right in front of us, above all the other things, above everything that flares off in the world, and say the big imperative here is that people see by my good conduct and my good behaviour, they see God. And that means that we submit willingly, even though we've been mistreated. Um, so that others see God and he's glorified. He uses words here, doesn't he? Uh, having your conduct honourable amongst the Gentiles. Now, uh, other translations use a different phrase of, uh, for that, uh, that honourable contact. They, they call it living a good life. So you, your translation might say living a good life. The Greek actually means uh, beautiful or attractive. Uh, so good that it motivates and inspires others. And, and what Peter's saying is that's what people should be seeing. And I read that and I thought, man, is that me? Is that me at all? Am I anything like that? Is that what people see in me? Is that what people see from, from faith life? Is that what people see from the body of the Christ? Do they see beauty? Do they see inspirational good? Or do they see dishonour? Do they see rebellion? Do they see crit a critical spirit? Do they see judgmentalism? Do they see us being polarised to the right of the left instead of going up? What do they see from us? Because what Peter's saying here, and, and it's just, if we can grasp it, it's so important. He's saying, what really matters is your behaviour and your conduct in the face of bad times in the face of bad leadership, in the face of bad events, in the face of prejudice, in the face of evil, in the face of mistreatment, what really matters is your conduct because that serves the God that we love to bring other people to God so that he can love them. And here's the radical inspiration of the gospel, implication of the gospel. Be like Christ. Now, that, that, that's kind of a, an odd thing to say, isn't it? Be like Christ. Well, we go, okay, well, I know that. I know that's how we're supposed to be as a Christian. I'm supposed to be more and more like Jesus, transformed from glory to glory, etc. And the question then becomes, do I really want to be like Christ? I don't mean, like, because I'm at church or I'm listening to this talk. Do I really want to be like Christ in my flesh? Do I, is, is that what I want to be? And, and the answer that, I'm pushed to is despite what my flesh wants yes I want to be like Christ yes I want to be like Christ and because of course we all understand that's what we're born again for but the radical and difficult conclusion that we come to from this passage and thinking about all these things is that let me let me say this slowly Christians who would live in the world as servants of God must also live in this world as servants to others. So Christians who live in this world as servants of God 
must also live in this world as servants of others. And, you know, I've, I, I thought about that and, and God just like downloaded that to me. And I'm thinking, oh, man. And, you know, that old song went through my head. You know, the one, this is your God, the servant king, who calls us now to follow him. And I'm thinking, this is my God, the servant king. But I don't want to follow him in that way. I don't. I, I want to be like him, but I don't want to do all these things. I want to go my own path, my own way. And again, why? Why does God ask us to live in that way, submitted, honouring? Why does he ask us to live that way? Well, let's have a look at verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to the silence the ignorance of foolish men. Our doing good changes things. Now let's have a let's just move on a little bit while we think about that. And let's get really to the heart of what is being said here. Let's go to verse 18 because in the light of all that, in the light of everything I've said, in the you know, just facing up to, to what I've talked about and what Peter's talked about so far. I'm going to look at some fundamental questions because, I, you know, if they aren't going through your head, they'll probably go through your head like five minutes after I finish talking. And the, the first question is this. OK, you've talked about submission. You've talked about honour. You've talked about being a servant. So who do I submit to? What do I submit to? And he says this. Therefore, verse 13, therefore, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. So living for God, putting God first, uh, following him means we submit ourselves to every ordinance of man. And, and you know, when we think through that, we've got no. I mean, that, that's kind of awkward, isn't it? Every ordinance, every law, Really, really, are you being serious that it really means every law? Well, you know, I, I tried to, to, to work around that. I tried to look at the Greek. And uh, guess what? This is what the Greek says. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. And yes, that includes traffic laws. That includes speed limits. That includes tax returns. That includes health and safety. It includes everything. That means we obey every ordinance even when we personally question its wisdom. You know, we stay under 30 mile per hour in that zone even though there's nobody around, the road is really wide and we can see clearly for half a mile, we stay under 30 mile an hour. Now that might seem crazy, it might seem not wisdom, but it's our conduct and who we are that changes the lives around us as they see that in us. And that means, you know, no cheating on expense claims, no, uh, no stealing time from our employers. Uh, no, honestly, yeah, yeah, like, as Christians, we don't have speed trap sensors. We don't have those things that sit in our dashboard and go ping when we've got approaching a speed camera so we can slow down. Why? Because we're honouring every ordinance of man. And, and, whether we like it or not, that's what God's saying. And his purpose behind it is that people should see our conduct and turn to God and that he would be glorified. 
that Christians who live in the world as servants of God must also live in the world as servants of others. And part of that is that we obey every ordinance of man. Now let's read uh, on to verse 20. For this is commendable, if because of conscience towards God you endure grief, suffering wrongly, for what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take this patiently, this is commendable for God, before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we would follow in his steps. So, you know, we, we talk, I, I keep coming back to these things. And, and the first thing he's, he says here, verse 18, uh, is, as we go on, servants be submissive well let, let me go back uh, let me go back to verse 13 therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the lord's sake whether to the king as supreme at that time he's talking about emperor uh, nero as emperor supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good and then verse 18, servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable, if because of conscience towards God, one endures grief, suffering wrongly. Okay, now let, let's have a look at that. Servants, submit to your masters. Not only good masters, but the harsh. And, and again, that's one of those sentences, and I go, that cannot, it just doesn't feel like, really, is that what you're asking me to do? And and so again, I tried to find my little loophole. I tried to look in and sort of thought harsh must mean something different. So I went and looked what harsh means. And harsh in, in, in the original language means crooked. It means perverse. It means morally twisted like a piece of dried out root. The implication being that there, in, 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 in believers, there is no oil of the spirit. That to, to soften that word, they're, they're twisted and we, we should expect to counter, encounter these crooked, perverse, twisted masters, twisted employers, uh, crooked employers, crooked people in, in, in the authorities. We, we should expect that people are harsh, they're not lenient at all. And he's saying, what do we do? He's saying, he's saying submit to those people. So how do we do that? Well, we can do that because we're free. You see, the non-free, they will behave differently. Their motivating factor will be to repay evil for evil. But the, a free believer has the choice of repaying evil with good. And that's the big difference we have. We have this this freedom because we are born again in our spirits to live differently. Romans uh, 12 throws some more light on this. Um, Romans 12 verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it's possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Don't stir up trouble. Don't get involved in trouble. As far as it's possible to you, to you, live peaceably. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, 
for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you heat coals of fires on his head. That means you cause him to see your behaviour so that he will repent. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And we, we have to take notice of these passages and we have to really think about how we respond to situations. And it says, you know, what, what's the bottom line there? It shows our confidence in God when we behave like this. It shows our confidence that he's our vindicator. It shows our trust in him rather than trusting in the things of the world. And we show God by knowing that God loves certain characteristics. He loves humility. He loves obedience. He loves unselfishness. And, you know, I, I think when he's saying this, Peter's remembering some of the things that Jesus said and some of the ways that Jesus responded to Peter when he was a complete idiot. Uh, you know, I, something just sprung to mind. Let, let's go back to uh, Luke chapter 6, I think it is. I'm, I'm looking for the sermon on that. Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Um, Yeah, verse 32. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But I say, love your enemies, do good, Lend hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great. You will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and kind to the evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father is also merciful. And I think when Peter's writing this, he's got those words of Jesus ringing in his ears. And, and he sat there, he listened to Jesus say that over and over again, and it's all coming home. And he's saying, how do I apply that in the middle of these terrible things that are happening to the church? And, and that raises the second question, doesn't it? If we, if, we submit, if, if we submit to every ordinance and we submit to our masters, we submit to the authorities, then what do we do? How far does this go? Now, it's important when we ask a question like this that we read the words carefully not in order to find loopholes because our flesh doesn't like it but because we need to see what things say correctly so we can follow correctly so we need to be really careful when we're reading the word of god and in verse 17 he says um, um, honor all people love the brotherhood fear god honor the king and then in verse 13, we, we read that earlier, submit to the audience, ordinances of the king as supreme. Submit to governors and their law enforcers, the authorities. And uh, we read things like that and we're saying, okay, how far does this really go, all this submission? How far does this go, this, this obedience? How far does it go, this honour thing? Well, Peter's, if we read this carefully, he's making some things really clear and they're so important for us. You see, when we, we read something like that and it says, honour all people. So we honour all people. That's the first principle, honour all people. And, and it says, honour everyone. 
And again, I don't like that. There's people who upset me, people who just, I can't believe they're doing some of the things they're doing and saying some of the things they're doing. And I don't like that. And, you know, I, I get there and, and I think, well, you know, here's these people, they're making these decisions, they're coming out with this sort of stuff, they're supposed to be our leaders, and I don't like that decision. Honour everyone. Well, I don't think that person should have that car, or have that house, or have that new coat. Honour everyone. Well, I don't like that person. Honour everyone. Well, they're a bad person. Everybody knows they're a bad person. Honour everyone. Well, I disagree with their politics. Honour everyone. Well, I think their ministry is terrible. I think it's awful. Honour everyone. Well, they come from a different culture to me. They don't understand me. Honour everyone. And then he says, love the brotherhood. So we honour everyone and we love the brotherhood. That means we love the body that we are part of. We love the members of the body that we're part of. That's our first responsibility according to God. Our first responsibility, our primary responsibility in the world is that we love each other and we care for each other. And if we can't do that, if we don't do that, if we can't... Uh, get ourselves motivated to do that we've got a problem because no matter what churches do no matter how many social care programs we put in uh, no matter how many things self-help uh, training series uh, or courses we we come up with it all comes down to love our decision making in 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 the the, the context of good news for bad times all comes down to love what do I mean by that? Well, you know, whilst not everybody, you know, everybody takes different approaches. Different churches have taken different approaches to this COVID crisis. And now we've taken a particular approach. Now, I don't want to uh, say anybody's is wrong and we respect everybody's decisions. But the decision that we have taken, our primary focus on that is our love for you guys. And you've gone along with that and been part of that because you love this church as well. And so we've sought to protect, we've sought to make sure that however confident we are that we're not going to get it, that we're not spreading it, we're not passing it on to each other, we're not passing it on to unbelievers. And we want to be cautious and careful because we don't want harm to come to each other. Why? Because love is a primary value. Love is a primary value. So we take decisions in, in horrible circumstances on the basis of that response of love. And then he says this, he says, right, okay, here's how this works in turn, because I've already told you, honour everyone, and I've told you, honour the emperor, and honour the authorities, and honour the governors, honour the prime minister, honour the government, honour the leader of the opposition, whichever side you're on. Do those things, that's, that's how you live. Honour your boss, honour your employer, honour your teacher, honour your instructor. Do those things. Here's the third thing. Uh, second thing, love each other and then fear God. Now, here's the, here's the point. When we go to God in reverential fear, we will see life 
from the right perspective. Now, fear is not terror, it's awe and reverence and putting God first. That's what the fear of the Lord means. It's putting God first in all our decision making, all our behaviours. So when we put God first, we see life from the right perspective. We, we, uh, we see the primacy in him of self-sacrificing love. And, and that love and sacrifice for others is how Jesus responded to an unjust, evil world that hated him and rejected him and persecuted him. And remember, how much like Jesus do we want to be? You see, what Peter's saying in this passage is he's saying, okay, you might not like the state. In fact, this is a bad state. These are, these are harsh, twisted, crooked, perverted leaders. You might think that you, you, you're probably right. You come up with all these things, but you've got to understand that God's perspective here is that he sees the state as an instrument in his hands in order to preserve order and preserve the world from chaos. So God's agenda, God's working behind the scenes in order to preserve order in his world. You see, there's something worse than bad rule and that is no rule anarchy is worse than bad leadership and so what peter's saying is god works through faulty leaders in order to preserve order and and therefore we should submit to those leaders looking at it from that perspective we should submit in order that God achieves his objective of preserving order. Now, so how far do you go that? How, how far do you go with that? Well, when we put that word fear God in, it makes it really clear. The only reason we do not submit, absolutely the only reason we are ever given in the word of God, is if it requires us to sin so if someone asks us to lie we don't lie if someone asks us to uh, fake something we don't fake if someone asks us to uh, uh, accept something that's wrong with, before God we don't we don't do that if someone encourages us to be dishonest we stay honest even if it costs us if we're told to deny God and not use his name, like, like Peter was in, in and, and that's probably what he's remembering here, then we don't do that. But that's absolutely the only reason we are ever given for not honouring our leaders, not obeying our leaders, not submitting to the laws of the land. That's the only reason. And, and we, we, we see the fruit and the product of when people go further than that. And that, that's, that's been a problem for us. And, and what this passage also tells us is that the big onus is on the vertical relationship, not on our horizontal relationships. And, and it's really important we think and understand this in, in our current context as churches facing up to these, these COVID and having been through this lockdown. <clears throat> you know, our primary focus is on vertical relationship with Jesus. Our primary focus in any body of Christ is not on our building. 
It's not on our horizontal relationship in order to get people into that building. It's not on a particular form of worship. It's not on a particular format of worship. It's not on achieving a particular vision that we've decided on for our organisation. And that's kind of where some people, I think, have maybe got a little bit off skew because they've, they've said, OK, well, you know, when God says we should meet, they've, they've, they've interpreted that as meet means meet in the way I want to meet, when I want to meet, in the format I want to meet and in the building that I'm paying for. And the problem is we, we put a lot more in there than, than is actually the focus. And when we come back to this and we say, OK, our vertical relationship is what's important. So if we know the vertical relationship is the most important thing, that relationship with God. You know, this is the radical, the great romance of Christianity is that that relationship we have with God is not bound by buildings. It's not bound by borders. It's not bound by formats. It's not bound or even dependent on finances. It's not bound by paying mortgages. It's not bound by the goals we've set ourselves. It's not bound by the targets and numbers that we're working towards. It's all about him and his love for us. And I'll love him. Do I want to meet? Yeah, I want to meet. Do, do, we, do we want people to be reached? Do we want to grow? Do we want to see more and more people come into the kingdom? Yes. But the most important thing is loving each other and our vertical relationship, real relationship with God. And if we don't get those things right, all the other stuff is a nothing. It's worthless. You know, if we, the, the truth is that Christianity is all about him, his love for us and our love for him. And if we don't get that part as the centre of our focus, then everything else we insist on, everything else we, we make noise about, everything else we argue about is wasted and nothing. And so I come to this question, and, and this is a question I was asking myself all the time I was looking at this passage. And I felt a real discomfort inside. I felt a real challenge. I felt, God, we, we just, I, I just think we've got some stuff wrong. We, we've got some stuff wrong in this time. We've got some stuff wrong in the way we, we, we've dealt with things. We've got some stuff wrong in the way we respond to things. We've got, and, and I... I felt deeply convicted about this and, and deeply convicted about our state in the body of Christ. You see, I, I've said all that and, and remember what's God's goal. God's goal is that people would see by our good behaviour, our honour, our submission and our focus and reverence for him and our love for each other, they would see him and they would turn to him. And, and I look at this and I say, is that the message that the world has seen from the church in the last year? Is that the way that they have seen us as individuals and as the body of Christ behave? Have they seen anger or have they seen honour? Have they seen obedience to the law or disobedience? Have they seen criticism and attack and judgmentalism or have they seen love for each other? Have they seen lies? Have they seen conspiracy theories? 
Or have they seen love and grace? Have they seen us complaining about our employers? Or have they seen us honouring our employers? Have they seen us shouting bad things and putting bad things out and saying bad things about our government? Or have they seen us honouring that government and praying for our leaders? Have they seen us obey God and honour everyone, investing in our vertical relationship with him and obeying the law? Have they seen us trust God? Have they seen us obey God? Have they seen us love God? Or have they seen us more concerned with our rights, our wants and our internal squabbles? And, and that, these questions were just coming and coming and coming and I'm asking myself them and I'm going, oh God, we have so messed up. We have so messed up from what we put out there and what we behaved. You know, the body of Christ is not a protest group. It's not a political pressure group. You never see Paul or Peter or anybody else saying, this society is wrong, this structure is wrong, let's organise and let's, let's take this all by force, let's cause civil disorder. You, you never see that. What is the body of Christ? It's a family of aliens in a foreign land who honour the rulers, love each other's, and reach out to the one in front of them and by doing so bring people to God and in doing so trust God to change things and you know that raises all sorts of questions doesn't it you might say well my, my, my job's awful and I've got I've got this terrible boss how can I stay healthy in that unhealthy place well here's how what Peter would say he'd say do your job for God's glory Honour your boss and trust God. If you want, look for another job. And when you get that other job, when you're going through the interviews and when you get that other job, honour your old boss. Honour your old employer. Don't fudge your expenses and don't shirk at your job. Well, Mark, you know, this person, they're just obviously wrong. They just can't see what's right. Well, what do you do? You say something, but here's what you do. You say it to them. If you can't say it to them and you've got no relationship with them, don't stick it on Facebook and social media and go off on a rant about them. That's not honour. That's not love. That's not care. If you can't say anything in honour, don't say anything. And always obey the law in doing so. Well, Mark, what if I disagree? And, and this is why this passage is so awkward, because you want to disagree with so much, don't you? Well, well, then disagree. Disagree, you know, if you disagree with people, if you disagree with the way somebody's behaving, if you disagree with somebody's political position, or you disagree with some the wisdom of some laws or whatever, then disagree. What's, but disagree without being disagreeable. You can disagree and still honour and still pray for the person and still love the person and, and still submit to the person you disagree with. And then we come down to it, don't we? Well, I think if we behave like that, I don't think anything would ever change. And that's really the crux of the thing, isn't it? We want to see things changed 
to be more like the kingdom. And what does God say? He says, fear me, have reverence in me, put me first and trust me to do it my way. And we're going, I don't like your way, God, I don't think it'll work. And there's the heart and problem. And until we understand, until we trust God to do it his way, even when we can't see him working in it, we'll be unhealthy in our souls. We'll have dishonour. We won't love each other. We won't submit. We'll be disobedient. We won't follow the law. We'll disobey. We'll, we'll be harsh. We'll be judgmental. We'll be critical. We'll be politicised. We'll, we'll be looking left and looking right and not looking upwards. So how do you live healthy in these unhealthy times? Because they are unhealthy, aren't they? Honour everyone. Love your brothers and your sisters in the church. Put your actions and energies there. Invest in your relationship, vertical relationship with God and focus on that vertical relationship with God. Put your heart there. Honour the law. Honour and pray for your government, your leaders, your employers, those in authority around you. And don't get pulled into stuff. Don't get pulled into that left, right and, and all this stuff that's going on on social media and the rest of it. You know, it's public. It's unhealthy. It's unhealthy for your soul. But more than that, it's what people see of us. And if that's what people see of us, it's also what people see of the God in us. And so the question is, above all of this, and that's what Peter said, do people see God? Do they see love? Do they see honour? Do they see obedience? Do they see you trusting God to bring change? Amen, faith life. Father, I just want to pray. I want to pray for everyone who's listening to this. I pray that we will uh, listen to your words, read your words, uh, and listen to your spirit as, it's, as he speaks truth to our hearts, that we would be a people who would shine light for your glory in the midst of the darkness around you, that we would be healthy in here so that we might be whole out there. In Jesus' name, amen. Be blessed. We love your faith life. That moment's drawing close to where we're going to be starting meeting physically again. Uh, until then, uh, let the blessing and favour of God rest on you all. And we love you in Jesus' name. Have a great week. Bye.